Take your Bibles tonight, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to move very quickly tonight as uh, there's a lot of information to cover. Now, you don't have a lot of notes, but I have eight pages. And a typical message, I have two. So I don't know if that'll scare you or not. But anyway, I'm just letting you know up front, there is a lot of information to cover tonight. And we've been uh, carefully going through this study last week and tonight. And we have two more Sunday nights. But tonight we're going to talk about presenting the gospel. Presenting the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, one of the most, uh, one of the greatest things I remember as a kid about Christmas was not just the fact that we got to open our gifts and, and have that time of, of uh, getting up at three in the morning because that's when mom wanted to get up and open all those gifts. Was, it was always fun to go back to school and share with everybody else what you got. We like to talk about those things. Do you know I can't remember probably possessing any of those gifts I ever received as a child today. I, still, I don't believe I have anything left. Um, eventually over time they break or they wear out or what have you or we just simply outgrow them. But you know, the gift of salvation is something we never outgrow. It is something that is new each and every morning, because God's mercies are new each and every morning. It is a gift that has been extended to us, and we are sealed with this Holy Spirit, and we have that joy of the Holy Ghost living within us. And it ought to be the desire of the heart to share that with somebody else. It's often new Christians. One of the most immediate and intense desires of a new Christian is to share the gospel, to tell somebody what happened. And some of the best soul winners are not those who know all the theological ins and outs, but simply know what God did for them, and they go and tell others what has happened in their life. You know, anybody that's been saved, you should be able to tell somebody else what happened to you. You say, well, I don't know all the scriptures. I don't know the Romans road. Well, first of all, if you've been saved any length of time, why not? Do we really have an excuse for not learning some key scriptures and memorizing those and using them, or even just marking them in a Bible. So I'm not good at memorizing. Mark them in a Bible, a New Testament. Keep a gospel track with you. And, and use that as a witnessing tool to share the gospel with others. You may not always find the exact words, but at least you've had the experience of being saved, and you know what happened to you. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ, and we're here to tell you something. You need to be reconciled to God as well. And so there's just a very simple message. And so look at 1 Corinthians 15 tonight with me, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain." For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Help us with it tonight. Also help us, Lord, to learn this important task that we have of world evangelism, how to reach others with the Gospel. Father, I need Your Spirit to help me organize my thoughts in a timely manner, and Father, may the Word of God penetrate our hearts and give us a greater burden for the loss than we've ever had. Give us a confidence in how we might share the gospel. Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Faith Baptist Church of Stony Creek rented for seven years an old Methodist chapel. 
It was the first church in the Stony Creek area. It was built in the late 1700s, 1780-something, and it sat at the foot of the hill of, of Centennial Parkway and King Street. That building was at one, burnt down during the War of 1812, and so they rebuilt on the corner of Lake Avenue and King Street where we were. Back in 1967, the centennial year, they decided to build a new building, and it now had become the United Church of Canada. But rather than tear down that building, they kept it for historical purposes and built all around it. So they had this Methodist chapel sitting empty. We were fortunate enough to be able to rent it for a very good price, and we went into that Methodist chapel, and every week we were able to just walk in, turn key, without having to set anything up. But the problem was, was that they had large, ornate stained glass windows. Those windows faced the east, the morning sun. And they were about as high as, as this peak right here in the middle. And we had aluminum uh, ceiling tiles. Have you ever seen those old aluminum painted ceiling tiles? And so the heat would just build up in there. As a matter of fact, because those windows were so old and ornate, they wanted to protect them somehow, and they covered them with some sort of shatterproof glass so that we couldn't even open the swinging windows. There was no forced air system. It was an old radiant heat that came out of radiators that were down in the basement that had replaced a wood stove from years ago. And so there was absolutely no air circulation in that room. There was no fans on the ceiling. There was nothing. In the summertime, I would on purpose have to preach shorter on a Sunday morning, sometimes 20, 25 minutes, because the room would be climbing to near 90 degrees by the time Sunday morning service was out. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I took my coat off. I know that's heresy for a Baptist, but I would take my coat off and soak through that shirt, and Pastor Masker used to soak himself as well. And We had a good time in that building, but I would literally have some folks maybe even exhausting from the heat. The pews were old wooden pews, and if you sweated just a little bit, the stain would come off and ruin your white shirt all up the back. It'd be brown. And so we were very careful about the clothes we wore, and I was thankful when I got to preach more and I didn't have to ruin my suits. One Sunday morning in that heat, a fellow by the name of Greg Rutherford walked the aisle, and he had, I, I've told you about Greg before, but Greg was blind in one eye, and he'd just been diagnosed the week before. He'd had some sort of injury, and it caused, something got in his eye, and it caused him to go blind. And that Sunday, I preached on blind Bartimaeus. Had no idea that this visitor would be with us, and walked the aisle, and in tears, uh, confessing his sin and understanding his need of a Savior, and came down to that altar, and I began to deal with him. Well, at both the same time, we had just started the Faith Baptist Church of Dundas. And I, I had forgotten, whenever I got dealing with somebody or talking or praying with somebody, Pastor Rutherford would come up and he'd jump in the pulpit and he'd just take over the service and I forgot he was gone. He had his own church service now. And so as I dealt with Greg down at the altar, I didn't even think about it, but for 20 minutes people stood in that heat patiently and just kept singing the hymn over and over again. I was thinking to myself, boy, Brother Rutherford's got a long invitation today. And then when I stood up and realized what had happened, and those people standing there for 20 minutes, so we, we told the folks what had happened. Greg had accepted Christ as Savior, and I believe it was genuine. He began to bring his father to church and his fiance to church, and they began to uh, come uh, pretty regularly and hear the gospel. He was concerned for souls. I told the church what had happened, and we dismissed, and nobody was complaining, nobody was upset. They understood. But just about three months later, Greg went home to be with the Lord. After the funeral, one of the men 
stood beside me at the graveside and he leaned over and he says, you remember that day he got saved? And you forgot to sit people down and you forgot to dismiss the church and it was so hot in there. And I said, yeah, I remember. And he goes, it was worth it, preacher. It was worth it. What is a soul worth? Well, sometimes we complain about that 20-minute stand and that heat and the, all those things that can go wrong. But I'm thankful Greg got saved that day. I want to tell you that sometimes to be able to effectively share the gospel, it means that we're going to have to step out of our comfort zone a little bit. We have a life and death message that the world needs to hear. And it might mean that we're going to have to step out of where we're comfortable and we must make every effort if we can to, make, uh, to understand the message and to be able to communicate it clearly. So look at number A. First of all, we must have an understanding of the gospel. Understanding the gospel. Before we can clearly share the gospel, we must understand what the gospel is and what it isn't. Don't make mistake programs of the church with the gospel. All right? Vacation Bible School is a wonderful program, but it is not the gospel. We can't just depend and say, well, isn't this wonderful? I'll send my kids to VBS, and one day they'll go to heaven. No, that's not the gospel. That's a tool in preaching the gospel. Every worker at VBS has to be sensitive that these young people are souls, and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't be depending on all the programs that we have. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 gives us the gospel in a nutshell. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. Look at verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. That's it. Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again according to the Scriptures. Why did he do that? Because I was lost in my sins and I needed somebody to pay the price. But we get, we get conflicted sometimes about all the things that go into the gospel. Let me encourage you, when you are sharing the gospel, keep on the main thing. There's going to be a lot of questions, a lot of things that will try to sidetrack you, but always come back to what the main thing is. Jesus died, was buried, and he rose again. He did it all for you. Paid the price for your sins. And it's a necessary thing to be focused on the gospel message. That's the gospel. Let's make it clear. Now, how do we do that? Number one, avoid the extremes. Don't complicate the message. Avoid extra biblical words and deep theological terms. How many of you understood what predispensationalism was when the day you got saved? We don't, do we? Pneumatology, homardiology, soteriology, all these things, they're just big words that we, that we use in doctrinal studies and things. But listen, for somebody to get saved, they don't have to know all that. Do you know that you can go to heaven without ever having read a word of the Bible? <gasps> the criminal on the cross did. He simply believed on Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that's a wise thing. If you have a life here to live on earth, this is our roadmap, and it is important that we get into the Word of God, and it sanctifies us and cleanses us and purifies us and makes us fit for service. And so, But avoid the extremes. Stay away from those big theological terms and, and understand that they're not going to understand all the theology surrounding it. Now, if I'm telling somebody about Jesus Christ, I very, very seldomly will use the word repent, although you have to repent to be saved. What I will say is you need to turn away from something. 
The word repent is a theological term. It is a Bible word, but it is not something that everybody understands. But to turn away from is to repent. In other words, I'm no longer going to trust my church. I'm going to turn away from trusting my church, and I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ. I'm going to turn away from trusting in religion and put my faith only in Jesus. That's the idea or the concept of repent. So avoid big theological terms and stick to very uh, simplistic things. But letter B, don't oversimplify the message. In other words, there was a movement years ago where they would say, who wants to go to heaven? Well, everybody raises their hand. I mean, if I were to ask you that question now, wouldn't you all put up your hands? I want to go to heaven, amen? Well, then just pray this little prayer. Well, friends, a prayer without meaning in the heart is absolutely nothing. It's just vain words and empty uh, repetition. And so let's be careful not to oversimplify the message. Repentance and faith are essential. Acts chapter 20. Look there very quickly. Acts chapter 20. Now, we are not going to look up all the Scripture tonight. Most of it you can probably quote, but it is there for your reference. So Acts chapter 20, verse 21. The Bible says, testifying both uh, to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So repentance and faith are necessary for salvation. Repentance is toward something. That means we turn away from one thing and we turn to another. We turn to God. All right, so number two, have a plan. Have a plan. Memorize as much scripture as you can related to soul winning. Understand and and be balanced in it, all right? And what I mean by that is don't just memorize all the scripture that tells you how to accept Jesus Christ. You also have to memorize scripture that identifies that I'm a sinner. And I have, to understand, I have to memorize scripture that identifies there's a price for sin. So Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have to identify different parts of the gospel message and try to, uh, so have a plan. Memorize the scripture. Have a starting place. Well, listen, no two people are alike. So there's going to be a lot of questions. So start somewhere, but then from there on out, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But if you have a lot of verses tucked away in your heart, God will help you and you'll bring them to memory when you need them. All right, it's amazing how many verses that you have just heard in church that when you get into a discussion with somebody, if you're trusting in the Lord, how all of a sudden they just come to your memory. Oh, I, I remember a verse from church. And you'll, if you can't, if you don't remember it, you can turn there and you can show them what the Bible says. So have a plan. Letter B, giving a clear presentation. So here's some essentials, five things that we should do when we're giving a presentation. First of all, understand that God loves you. All right? You know what sometimes we do? Sometimes we'll say, well, let me ask you a question. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? You know, I got thinking about that one time. If I were to, if I were to be asked that question as an unsaved person, I'd be scared to death. I thought, what is this guy coming here for? As a matter of fact, it was, it was interesting. Uh, I heard the story of a, pre- a preacher that was telling this story. He said he was out with a fellow and they stopped at a gas station. And uh, they began to witness to this lady. And uh, so they, they were witnessing to this lady and, and she came up from behind the counter. She says, you know, I, I, I've already been saved and I'm thankful for that. And, and he says, she's, he, so he began to talk to her about the, uh, the blessings of the Lord and they were sharing a little bit about their churches. And, and the fellow, they didn't even hear him, but he come in and behind him he says, she may not need it, but I do. So they said all of them got right down after a few minutes of sharing the gospel, got down on their knees right there in that gas station. 
And the, so the three, of the three or four of them all on their knees down there and praying, and a truck driver walked in and thought the place was being robbed. And just as he walked in, he heard the man say, if you were to die tonight, well, that's a scary question for an unsaved person. So try to preface it and say, do you understand that God loves you? That God has prepared a home for you? God sent his son as a sacrifice for you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting. Give them the good news first. And then that'll soften their hearts and allow them. You know, years ago, somebody was angry. One of our, our teens had gone out. We were doing some flyers in the neighborhood, and we had put a, somebody put a track. There was a screen that was torn away, and they just stuck a track between the screen and the door, and somebody was very upset and sent a picture of it to me on email and said, listen, they tore up my screen, and they did this, and they did that, and, you know, we hate you people coming around, and da 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 and went on and on. It was terrible. And so I wrote him a note, and I just said, listen, I am sorry. I said, we will come and put a new screen on your door right away. I said, if you'll remind me of your address, I'll come right over. We'll take it down to the hardware store. We will get a new screen put in your door. We want to take care of that. And then I said, I hope you understand how much God really loves you and that we don't hate you at all, but we want you to understand God's love. I got a letter back right away, 10 minutes later, and you could tell the whole tone had changed just because we told them that God loved them. You see, God's love can melt the hardened heart. And then from there, we can move on to realize your condition. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We won't take the time to turn to these verses tonight, but you have them in your notes and mark them in your Bible and use them in the future. So once they realize their condition, listen, identify yourself with that. You know, nobody likes to be told, Brother Kevin, did you know that you're a no good, dirty, rotten sinner? But if we open the Bible and say, you know, the Bible says that I'm a sinner, and the Bible says that we're all sinners, they'll catch on. Hey, maybe I'm a sinner too. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned. But put yourself in their shoes. Help them to see that you're not just trying to be self-righteous and better than they are and trying to put them down, but show them their condition. But you were once in the same condition. Notice God's price for sin. Romans 6, 23, for wages of sin is death. There's a penalty for sin. And now listen, by the way, this is where questions are going to start to come up. Why would a loving God ever create a place like hell? Well, he didn't want to. He really didn't want to. He prepared it for the devil and his angels, but because of sin, we were separated from God. God wants heaven to be a perfect, holy, righteous place. and He can't allow any sin in. God is a perfect, holy, and righteous God, and he cannot just allow sin to go on unabated. And the only way to satisfy the justice of God was to have a penalty, but Jesus Christ took that place. And so you can always steer the conversation back to what Christ did for you. But we have to mention the penalty of sin. And then they have to believe that Christ died for you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And they say, well, maybe maybe I'm too, uh, too much of a sinner. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's just a simple path. Take them down the road. We call it the Romans road. Uh, But there's many other scriptures you can use as well. Then confess your faith in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, 9 and 11. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And then letter C, leading to a decision. I'm going to encourage you tonight to take this home and study because we have so much to cover over four weeks that we want, this is going to be very just informational. And I hope that you'll take it home and go over these verses again. Leading to a decision, be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit is leading. Are they following or just going along? If you get somebody trapped, they'll nod and give assent. But that doesn't mean that they're understanding. That could mean they're just trying to get you away from the door. So be sensitive to that. I went out with a fellow one time when I was first uh, learning how to go out and knock on doors and such, and I went out with a, a youth pastor, and, and uh, boy, I'm telling you what, he, he had him wrangled, and he just went on. He, he'd start his, his thing, and for the next 20 minutes, that person was not getting a word in for 20 minutes, and they'd stand there, and you could just see them doing this, and upset, and bored, and, 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 and perturbed. That doesn't help the situation at all. So be sensitive to the situation. Ask questions about what they understand. So if you've got them to the point of making decisions, ask them questions, especially with children. If you're talking to a child, have them tell you the gospel. I did that with John Vanderplug because he was so young. I thought, boy, does this boy understand? I said, John, what do you mean you're saved? Well, what I mean by that, pastor, and he was very straight with me, and he gave me the gospel from the beginning to the end. And so ask the questions uh, to see if they understand. Well, uh, do you understand what it means? Do you understand that you're a sinner? Well, yes. Do you understand what the penalty of sin is? Yes, because I'm lost, because I'm a sinner, I'm going to hell. And I deserve it. And if they don't understand they deserve it, they're probably not ready to be saved. You see, that's key, isn't it? To understand, uh, I, I, I am a sinner, God says I'm a sinner, and God says I'm going to hell, but I don't think I deserve that. That's not the right heart's attitude to get saved. And so they need to understand that, yes, I deserve it, and Christ took my place. So ask good questions. Um, we are sharing the gospel, hoping for salvation, but it may be best sometimes to pull back and allow the Holy Spirit to work. Now let me say this, if you never got to the point where they accepted Christ, don't leave them thinking they're saved. Okay? Be very careful about that. Be very sure you say to them, well, listen, I, I, I can see that perhaps you don't understand everything we're talking about today. I'd like to come back to you and talk to you more about this. Or uh, when you've got a better time, or maybe after you've soaked some of this in, maybe we could share the gospel again with you. But don't leave them at the door thinking they're saved. A child will often uh, think they're saved because they talk to somebody. Well, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. They have no clue what that means. And so make sure you don't give them a false impression of their salvation. We're supposed to be sharing the gospel with the point of seeing souls saved. So look at Roman numeral 2, dealing with some common questions. You've probably heard all of these, but there's scripture to answer them. Letter A, I have always been a Christian. How many of you have heard him ask that, say that before? I have always been a Christian. Well, we understand that Christianity is not a birthright. It is not a birthright. You were not born into a Christian home. You are not born into a Christian country. Salvation is a personal decision. Now, I've given you some verses there, but you could use Romans 10, 13 again. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John chapter 14, verses six, verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
and no man cometh to the Father but by me. It's a personal decision. Every individual, every man must come through Jesus Christ. There's some other verses here. Psalms 51 verse 5. We won't turn there tonight. John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And so it is a personal decision. So when they say, I've always been a Christian, mark down some of these verses. Letter B, I've asked God to forgive me many times. Well, we hear that a lot, don't we? Have you ever asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins? I ask God that every day. Well, as a Christian, we ought to keep a short account with God, and if he, we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, but we are talking about a saving faith. Have you ever put your trust in Jesus Christ? Yes, I do that all the time. And that's kind of the answers that we get. And so we have to be able to unravel that and understand them. Again, John chapter 1, verse 12, Romans 10, 13, uh, Revelation 3, verse 20. And so uh, help them to understand that it is eternal life. John 1, 12 again, but as many as received them, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. I like to use this illustration. I'll, I'll take them to John chapter 1 and verse 12, and I'll say to them, listen, do you, do you, what's your father's name? And they'll give you their father's name. It's Joe or whatever. Now, see, let me ask you this. When you were a young person, did Joe ever threaten to throw you out of the house? And sometimes it's yes, and sometimes it's no. And I'll say, well, if, did Joe ever say, you're no longer my son? Sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is no. But let me ask you this. Just because Joe says you're no longer my son, does that mean you're no longer his son? Well, no, I guess not. So you can't change that relationship. You can't sever that relationship. It, we knew a young man that was turned over at 16 as a ward of the court. His father threw him out, didn't want anything to do with him. That does not change the fact that that's his father. You can't change that relationship. And see, once you're born in the family of God, you cannot change. We've been given the power to become the sons of God. And so that relationship is inseverable. Let her see, this is too simple. I need to do something to earn it. Take them back to the gift verses. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. So take them back to the gift verses. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Not of works of righteousness, which I have done, but by his mercy he saved me. So go to those verses. Those will help in a question like that. Letter D, I'm good enough. I'm not a very bad sinner. Boy, I tell you, that's the one we hear most today. I'm not all that bad. Brother Paul, would you agree that's probably what we hear the most? I'm probably good enough. I'm, you know, I think I should go to heaven. I haven't killed anybody after all. And so that's often what we hear. And we look, may look good compared to other people in the world, but remember what the Bible says. And so look at a couple of these with me just because I, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't got them all memorized. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. In verse 6, the Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us have sinned. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, there is none righteous, no, not one. Let me say this about memorizing Scripture. It is wonderful to memorize Scripture. But when you're dealing with a lost person, it is always better to show them in the Bible. Always better. 
Because you can say whatever you want. I memorized Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. That doesn't make it scripture. So show them in the Bible. That's where the authority is, okay? But if you've memorized scripture, you can turn it over like this and say, well, see what Romans 3.23 says? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you can show them and turn it, or else you have to learn to read upside down. And maybe some of you can do that. So it's good to have scripture memorized, but it's always good to show them the word of God. Letter E, isn't death the end? How do we know there's a real heaven and a real hell? Well, the Bible is full of it. Luke chapter 16 is the story of rich man and Lazarus. And perhaps that's the easiest one for us to remember. Uh, Of course, uh, the rich man died and lifted up his eyes, being in hell and in torment in the flame. Lazarus found himself in Abraham's bosom. And in this life he was tormented, but now he was comforted. And we have a picture of heaven and hell. Uh, Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 is another Great verse, that they shall awake from the dust of the earth, some to everlasting life, but some to everlasting contempt. And there's two different places listed. So there's lots of verses about hell and heaven. Letter F, I don't want to give up my lifestyle or my friends. Well, uh, of course, that's another uh, great argument. Look at Philippians chapter 2. And I think this one is, is big for a lot of people. I don't want to change. I don't want to change. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You see, a lot of people think, I've got to do all this changing. If you come to Christ and repent of your sins and trust in Christ, it is he that does the work. It is he that changes your desire. And so just trust in him to do that. You say, I don't want to give up my lifestyle, friends. God will do the changing. Mark chapter 8 and John chapter 15 are other good verses there as well. Letter G, I think as long as I'm sincere in what I believe, that's all that matters. Well, you can be sincerely wrong. And so be very careful about that attitude. And I've listed several scriptures there. I'm not going to read them all. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12 says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And so when they're talking about sincerity, give them fact. Give them just the clear-cut scripture. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. What does sincerity matter when we have the truth of God's Word? And then a lot of the questions we'll get will be about the deity of Christ. How do we know that Christ is the Son of God? Christ's sacrifice is only sufficient if He truly is the spotless, perfect Lamb of God. If He is not perfect, if He is not the Son of God then it does not matter at all. First John chapter 3 and verse 5 says, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. First John chapter 2 and verse 2, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The Bible also teaches that those that do not believe that Jesus Christ is God is, are false teachers. First John 4, 3, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So how do we know his deity is true? How do we know he's the son of God? Let me give you this list very quickly because we are very short on time. First of all, his deity is shown through his names. 
Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Uh, so all those are in that, in that verse. John chapter 20, verse 28. His deity is shown through his work. His work, letter number 2. He created the world. John 1, 3. In him was not anything made that was made. He upholds the world. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He forgives sin, Mark chapter 2, verse 7 to 11. You'll remember he was rebuked for forgiving the man of the palsy. But, God, uh, but Jesus said, it is easy. it's just as easy for me to see your sins be forgiven than it is for me to say, rise up and walk. And so he forgives sin. He gives eternal life, John 17, 2. Number three, his deity is shown through worship. Four different scriptures there. Each time, Jesus was worshiped and he didn't turn it away. He accepted it because he is God in the flesh. His deity is thrown, shown through his attributes. Number four, no, letter A, omnipotence. That means all-powerful. Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, All power is given unto me. So he is all-powerful. Uh, letter B, omniscience. That means he knows everything. John 16, verse 30, and Matthew 16, 21. He is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere. Matthew 28, 20. He says, Lo, I am with you always. Well, that's straight up our behavior if we remembered that, wouldn't it? Jesus never leaves you nor forsakes you. No matter what you're doing, he is there to see it. Eternality, John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Immutability, Hebrews 13, I am the Lord, I change not. Or sorry, Hebrews 13 8 says, Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he never changes. His deity is shown through all of his attributes, and his deity, number five, is shown through his resurrection. The fact that Christ came forth from the grave proves he is the Son of God. Henry Morris said this, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. So there's a lot to learn there, isn't there? But those are some questions you're going to get. And the Bible says we ought to be ready to give an answer to every man that ask for the reason of the hope that lieth within us. Do we have the answers? By the way, the answers they seek are not your philosophy or your opinion. They need the word of God. Because it's the word of God that changes lives. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 7, give us the account of the resurrection. Now, making a soul-winning visit, we'll move quickly through this. This is more or less just practical, uh, so we won't have a lot of scripture to look up. Making a soul-winning visit. So there are two types of visits that we'll make. A cold call, or number one is door knocking or canvassing. That's when we just go out and knock on doors and make contacts. The other type is letter B, a specific visit. So let's look at door knocking. First of all, some things. Introduce yourself. Be personable. Give your name. If you're, um, by the way, when I knock on the door, I always say, hi, my name's Al. I never say I'm Pastor Fury, Doctor So and So. We don't. We don't. Don't do that. Just just be yourself. All right. As a matter of fact, when a visitor comes in the church, I always introduce myself. Hi, my name's Al. I'm, I'm the pastor here at Bethel Baptist Church. But I always just give them my name because your name disarms people and allows them to be personable with you. So introduce yourself. Introduce people that are with you. Introduce your church. You say why? Make sure they know you're not the Jehovah Witness. All right, because that's, that's their fear, okay? And so um, one time we were knocking on doors, and there was a sign up there, and it said, uh, no junk mail, Jehovah Witness, this means you. 
I thought that was interesting. So I knocked on the door and they came out and they said, oh, you didn't see our sign. I said, no, I'm not a Jehovah Witness. And I said, I got to tell you, what I got right here is not junk. And boy, they listened. They were glad to take the John and Romans and, and talk for a little while when they heard that and, and turned out they knew the Lord already, but they didn't want the Jehovah Witness knocking all the time. So introduce yourself and introduce the church. Explain the purpose of your visit. If you're canvassing, you might just say, you know, we just want you to know about our church. And, of course, if you get a chance to lead them to the Lord or tell them about Jesus, that's wonderful. And you'll learn how to turn that conversation later on. But just disarm them. Don't, you're not trying to sell them anything. You're not trying to get anything out of them. We just want you to know about our church. Invite them to your church. Here's a key. And somebody, uh, C.T. Spear, told me this a while ago. And I've seen the difference in it. Don't call people that come to your church visitors. Call them guests. There's a different connotation there, isn't there? And so when you invite somebody to church, listen, would you come visit with us on Sunday? No, instead, so would you be my guest on Sunday? And it's amazing how just little things like that make a difference. And make sure that when you say, be my guest, that means they're going to be your guest. That means you're willing to sit with them. And you're willing to maybe go and have lunch with them or get a drink after church with them, a cold drink or something, and just have some fellowship with them because they don't know anybody else. And so if you've invited them to be your guest, treat them like your guest. Um, if they say they already have a church, don't criticize their church. All right? I was with somebody one time, and they said, well, I go to such and such church, and oh, man, you don't want to go to that church, and they just started tearing it down. You are not going to win somebody by doing that. We, we never do. I remember being in the, uh, when I used to work in a security company, and, and during the day, we would sell security systems and install them in homes. It was Harp Security in Oakville, and the, I, when I was first learning about the equipment, the boss wanted me to go with him, so I'd learn the equipment in order to sell it, and so I went with him to a call, and, and uh, they were saying, well, you know, we already have a DSC system in, installed, and he's, oh, that stuff's just junk. And he went on to tell why it was junk, and I'm sitting there thinking, if our stuff is so good, why do we have to tell them that theirs is junk? If ours is good, why wouldn't it sell itself? And friends, there's nothing better than the gospel. And so we don't need to put down anybody else's church or beliefs. We just need to give them the truth. Determine if you should continue the visit. Listen, if you hear the smoke alarm going off, it's not a good time to stay. All right? If uh, kids are screaming and crying and they're hungry and want supper, it's not a good time to stay. So be sensitive to that because you're just going to turn them off. Say, listen, I can tell you're busy right now. Let me leave you a gospel track or some information about our church. And if it'd be okay, I'd like to come back. Well, a little while ago, my wife and I was in the middle of winter. And I mean, it was one of those days where it was just probably 20 below. And we knocked on this door that we had been given a contact for. And a lady answered and she just got out of her hot tub. And I mean... She's dripping wet. She had a towel. She was covered. She's dripping wet, and it's 25 below out. It's not a good day to stand there with the door open, is it? I mean, she was freezing up and crystallizing as we were standing there. So very quickly, we said, listen, we're sorry to bother you. We'll give you some information, and we left it at that. And so be sensitive to those things. You're just going to turn people off, all right? Our objective. Here's some objectives. Always leave a gospel tracker an invitation every time. Give a personal invitation, Create a sense in their heart that the church cares for them and can help meet their needs. Leave without wearing out your welcome so that you might have a chance to visit again. All right? Number six, if you continue the visit, look for an opportunity to turn the conversation. So a lot of times people get talking, well, I already have a church. 
Well, tell me about your church. I'd like to know about it. We're, you know, we go to church too. We'd like to learn about your church. And so they begin to talk about it. And then you say, well, you know, church is important, but really what's important is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And make it personal. Make it a relationship. And from there, you can go on to share the gospel. Exchange contact information if you're able. And so if you get a commitment from them to visit your church or whatever, say, listen, I'd like, I'd like to sit with you when you come. Would you... Would you text me or would you call me or would you so change information if you can? Uh, easy ways, write down their number off the door on the way out at the, and just write down 77 Lindale Drive or whatever and turn that in and make sure that you have contact for them. Now a specific visit. Engage in small talk. Disarm people. All right? People like to talk about what they're familiar with and so ask them if they have any questions about your church. So we're talking about people that maybe have already visited. I was just wondering if you have any questions about our church and could we answer anything for you? Could we help you with anything? Be genuine. Be genuine. They'll notice if you're fake. All right? They'll notice if you're fake. Look for an opportunity to share Christ and don't be in a hurry. Um, Brother Clayton was telling me this about Clarence Sexton. Clarence Sexton is the pastor of uh, the Temple Baptist Church in Powell, Tennessee. And uh, their church is, is huge, and they've got a college, and it's big, and they have, you know, I, I couldn't even tell you how, what the numbers are. But Brother Clayton, when, when his granddaughter died, Brother Sexton became a friend to him, began to call him and things. And when they were there visiting their children who were members of that church, he, uh, Pastor Sexton found out they were there and called them and said, hey, let's go out, have a coffee. And they went out and had a coffee and got a call while he was there from somebody in the church about a soul-winning visit. And he said, Brother, would you like to go with me? And he said, sure, I'll go with you. And so they went to the soul winning visit. And he said, Brother Sexton is an intense man. He's always thinking about ministry and always, his wheels are always turning about work and, and different things. He says, but when we got into that living room and sat with that person, it was like they were the only person in the world. And he had all the time they needed. His schedule's incredibly busy, and yet he wasn't in any sort of hurry at all. And he says, if, if I notice that, I'm sure they notice that. And so don't be in a hurry. Give them the time that they need. Some practical tips. Always carry a New Testament. Number one, always carry a New Testament and some tracts. At least have a track. And maybe at work it's hard to carry a little Bible, but have a track in your pocket and be able to answer that. Next Sunday night, Lord willing, I'd like to share a video with you. It's a story of a, of a man in a workplace who uh, witnessed to another fella, and he got saved. And through that, uh, he witnessed to another fellow, and then his whole family got saved, and both their families, and now there's 15 or 16 people that know Christ, saved, baptized, discipled, and members of a church because one man carried a gospel track in his pocket to work. And so let's, let's be faithful in carrying tracks, and you can't give them out if you don't have them. Go with a partner. It allows for training, but it also allows one to pray. I remember years ago, some of you know Cody Crevar that now is uh, in the ministry, works with Brother Eagles, but years ago, when we first went to Stony Creek, his, his dad was unsaved. I believe he still might be. His mom knows the Lord. And so we went over to share the gospel with him, and Cody was just a little guy in diapers. But I don't know what happens, but when you start sharing the gospel with an adult, demons seem to enter those kids. You ever notice that? I mean, they were just starting to scream. Cody and Summer was, I mean, Summer was just like eight months old and, and Cody was about two and they were just, I mean, just running all over and distracting things. And so Pastor Max was trying to witness and so he just looked at me and I was able to go over and just get on the floor and start playing with the kids and keep them quiet. 
And so go with in a partner because you can, you can deal with any distractions. It provides accountability too. You know, some days you don't feel like going out, but if you have a partner that you're accountable to, that'll help you uh, to be accountable. Uh, it protects your testimony. Boy, you, you got to be real careful. You knock on a door. What if some lady says, oh, I'd like to hear about this. Come on in. Gentlemen, you need a partner. You need somebody to go with you. And so have a partner uh, for accountability. Always, number three, be polite and courteous. Number four, never criticize a person's beliefs. If you teach people the truth, they'll throw out the lie. Teach them the truth and they'll throw out the lie. Number five, never talk alone with a person of the opposite sex. Be careful about that. The Bible says, don't let your good be evil spoken of. Romans 14, verse 6. Never approach young children without the parents present. Now, Sunday school, I understand that's a different thing. The parents know they're here. They're entrusting them to us. But if you're out on the street and handing out flyers and there's a little child there, say, I want to talk to your parents and go knock on the door. Don't, don't stop in the street and talk to that kid. I tell you what, they'll call the police so fast, you'll, you'll be in a lot of trouble. We used to like to go down to the housing projects in, in Hamilton, and I'd get a cooler, and for about $3.99, I could get a couple hundred freezies. And we'd freeze those the night before, and we'd put them in a cooler, and I'd go down to the middle of the park, and I'd put them down, and I'd yell, free freezies! And in about 20 seconds, I have 100 kids around me. And I'd have a stack of flyers, and I'd say this, I can't give you a freeze. You take, you take a flyer to your mom and come back with permission. And so they'd all take a flyer and they'd go run and then all the moms would come out. Yeah, they can have a freezy. I tell you what, that's how we did our VBS visitation. We'd have 100 flyers out in about 30 seconds. And it works, but you have to get permission from the parents. Be very careful, especially in the day and age we live. Always seek to be led by the Holy Spirit. And to be a good ambassador for Christ and be a good representative of your church. Remember, when you're out, you represent somebody. You represent Jesus. And you represent Bethel Baptist Church. All right? So let's be, let's be eager and anticipating. Tonight was very much just teaching. And next week, we'll move more into how to personally share the gospel one-on-one with somebody. And we'll go on from there. And it'll be more of a preaching time. But it's so important that we get this training and that we understand our responsibility in Christ Jesus Be focused on what the gospel is. Be concise in your message. A lot of times people will ask questions, and you can say, you know what, we'll come back to that. But why don't we stay on this topic and stay on this right now and be concise about it and and pray that the God's Holy Spirit would help you to guide the the conversation's direction that you might have success in reaching others for Christ. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us with us tonight. Help us to be faithful ambassadors of Jesus Christ in presenting the gospel. Equip us for the ministry, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Paul to come. We're not going to have an invitation tonight. It was more of a teaching time uh, than anything. But let me encourage you tonight as, as Brother McPherson comes, none of this works unless we work it. Unless we commit it to the Lord in prayer. Unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so let's really understand that in order to share the gospel, we must be filled with the Spirit of God. Because it is God that does the work. It is not slick salesmanship. It's not trickery. It's not cunning craft. But it's the Word of God. And it is powerful and it works. But we must be filled with the Spirit of God. Brother McPherson.